So welcome to our eighth Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast forum, produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Denisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. If you haven't joined us before, we have certainly covered some intriguing topics over the last few months, from getting products to international markets, discussing how to create unique experiences, and even how to navigate tight cash flow in a seasonal business or a tough economic climate as we're facing at the moment. And as always, for those of you who haven't, you can download and listen to our monthly conversations on your favourite podcast station under our Chamber channel, Set the Month in Motion. This topic today was recommended by the lovely Anna, who is in the room with us, um, and one of our Chamber members and local business leaders. Um, Anna said to me at a, an event not long ago, she said, in all my years of business, I meet the most wonderful people who come in and love what they see. But so often they leave when I know they want the art that's on the wall. I just haven't managed to get the deal over the line before they leave my store, or my gallery, I should say. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the black magic art of closing the sale, as well as building a sales-orientated culture. It's such an important part of business. In fact, I think it follows fairly clear logic that if we can't get the sales bit right, we're actually, we don't have a business. And that doesn't matter what business we're in, whether it's professional services, whether it's engineering, whether it's retail, whether it's hospitality. To run a business means it's a transaction between two individuals. And if someone isn't paying for that transaction, then we really don't have a business. So we're definitely not here to talk about old school salesmen who bloodlessly hunt their targets with countless cold calls and demands for meetings, or nor are we talking about those that just recklessly random call us in the hope that someone stays online long enough to hear our pitch. That said, though, I may not be able to stop myself quoting a few old school thoughts from my dear old dad, um, as he had many thoughts on this particular subject that he ingrained not only in my brother and I, but in his national sales team across decades as he built a large engineering business. And in this room, we also have a collective experience of decades of successful sales on our esteemed panel today. I feel so very privileged to be able to hear each of your thoughts and stories this morning. And thank you all for making the time to be with us in what is an extraordinarily busy time of year. So to our panel, we'll be chatting about how to develop a modern and sound plan of action that takes us from that moment of coming in contact with a potential customer to helping them recognise that we can actually make a difference to their lives in whatever form that may take and to the point that they're willing to pay for it. And so it's with pleasure I will start by introducing the first of our panel guests today to kickstart our conversation. I'm sure most of you locals are aware of the lovely Stephanie Dobro, Director of White House Property Partners. Stephanie brims with kindness and light and an excitement for life and is widely regarded as one of the state's most trusted property agents. Having seen Steph in action locally, her skills and finesse are exceptional and she's not only recognised by her clients and peers, but also by the real estate industry itself, where she has won countless awards, including the Re Agent of the Year, Rern Hall of Fame member, and a string of Grandmaster and Master Awards from Rewa for the value of her properties sold, including a Grandmaster in 2018 and 19. Stephanie, my dad used to say that learning to, sell, to learning to sell yourself is actually the most important lesson you can ever learn. And I know this quote echoes your thoughts about learning to sell yourself and building trust. And that in order to sell yourself, you obviously have to have the right mindset and be worthy of trust. I'd love to start by asking for your comments on the importance of this and the required personal mindset to achieving success in business. Thank you, Denisia. Hello and welcome, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah. Do we need, we need this? <laughs> um, so, yes, that's who I am. And um, I think that it is about selling yourself. Um, and I was thinking as you were starting when we were talking about Anna and people coming in and leaving without buying, I think that selling really is about developing trust. I think we're in the trust economy and we know that frequency builds trust. And the way that I've built my business right from the very beginning was not about looking to make money. Um, money was something that would become a byproduct of what I did, but it was very much simply about helping people. And by asking lots of questions, as I was saying to Julie, finding out what people are looking for and how you can help them, regardless of whether it plugs into 
your product or your business. So a lot of the time I'm helping people, I don't actually get a sale out of it because I'll even refer them to other properties that aren't my listings when I see it come up. Um, I'll send, send it through to them and say, you should go look at this one. Um, and what ends up happening is that you build up so much credibility into your trust account, um, the virtual trust account, that when they come to recommend someone, it's like you're just cashing in. You're, it's very easy to withdraw because you no longer are in competition in terms of your product or service because you've already put in, you know, filled the bank account. And so I was saying to Julie, when I'm looking to help people, it's all about finding out what are, what are they looking for? What's their problem that I can solve? And that's really about how I build it. And so it's about communication. Now, I was thinking about Anna's product. Um, I don't know whether you use Instagram, but Instagram is such a great way to build relationships. Even if people aren't responding, getting you through the stories in the feeds, you connect with people who are like-minded or who like your products. And you can often have conversations, just DM conversations that might seem small, but that accumulate over time and that people even if um, the lady who came in can't afford to buy the product she'll tell somebody else or she'll show them your story or she'll send it to someone else so it's all about developing a referral business based on the relationship that you build with each individual that doesn't really answer the mindset question because the mindset question is a separate question and it is probably one of the biggest challenges in my industry, um, as I'm sure for everyone. It's that sense of rejection when someone doesn't choose you, when they go and buy the product from someone else. In my case, it's a very personal thing because you feel like you're getting rejected. Like, I know I'm the number one agent in East Fremantle. Why didn't they pick me? Why didn't they even call me in? But even worse, if I got to the table, why didn't they choose me? And you can take it quite personally. And I think that um, having a really strong mindset and self-belief, not in an egotistical way that I'm the best because um, that's not really relevant. It's about feeling calm and confident in what you offer and continuing when you get those rejections, when they pick someone else, to pick up the phone and refer the property to someone else or to just continue to seek to help people. And part of that is helping yourself. And one of the big things in my industry is about developing, um, there's the 5am club and it's all about your morning routine and I think it's probably, you know, global, but about how you start your day and centering yourself to be in a position to, you know, run the race that you're going to run today. And one of those big things is also about staying in your own lane, stopping looking at what the competition's doing. So I mostly don't look at my competitors on Instagram because I just don't think that's healthy for me. Um, and I know that they're all watching me, but I just think, I, don't, I, I just want to run my own race. I want to be who I am and do business the way I want in the ethical, professional, helpful way. And, um, you know, when people copy me, I, I go, why have they done that? But at the same time, I just go, just stay on course, be, be true to yourself and I think in sales the truer and more aligned you are to who you are the more you're going to attract people who are your tribe and I, I don't know if that works at the simple retail level in terms of when people it's you know they come in and go out but if you can build those relationships um, I think that will go a long way to helping both keep you <laughs> afloat um, psychologically, because especially when the economy has been so challenging for people, um, that keep you afloat psychologically and allow you to continue to serve people. And through that service, I think you will naturally, people will come back to you. And I think sometimes it'll come from areas that you don't expect. Like I get a lot of referrals from people for buyers or buyers referring me to sellers where I never ever anticipated that by service, serving a buyer that, that I would end up with a listing from somebody else. But it is just by doing good that I think um, you can help build those relationships that will refer people to your business.
It was wonderful, Stephanie. And I think some really, really great points. I think even your comments about social media, you're still in the game no matter what you're selling you're online and I think that ability to be up on a regular basis and to protect I guess that energy um, because it is an incredibly draining process listening to others constantly working out what their needs are working out how you're going to deliver to those and I think you sum that up so well because I think closing the deal starts well before the deal even begins and that's with your own personal ability to to be there and to listen and to engage so thank you for sharing such personal thoughts with us as well. Next up is one of our most respected wholesale managers. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing um, Mr Tony Liversidge in action a number of times. He's the National Wholesale Manager for Vas Felix Wine. I found myself coming out with boxes of wine and putting wines on wine lists I wasn't expecting to just simply because of Tony's effortless manner. Um, Tony has over 20 years of experience working with food and beverage throughout the country and over this time he's developed a passion for Margaret River wine and the Australian wine industry in general. He's not only an amazing salesman but he really knows his stuff and I think that's another big part of, of the selling process. Um, Tony has received um, his sommelier qualifications in the early 2000s. He finished second in the WA sommelier competition and has taken part in vintages in the Great Southern, Margaret River and Coonawarra. Tony has been sought after to review wines for various retail publications, provide operational advice to venues and help restaurants curate their wine lists. As Vas Felix National Wholesale Manager, Tony helps build and coach high performance teams to effectively deliver distribution outcomes. Tony works closely with the trade and industry partners in order to showcase the region's premium varieties. And Tony, you're so regularly out and about hosting dinners, um, venues, you conduct staff training sessions and you work so closely with different trade partners to stay at the front of the industry. And I think that knowledge and that expertise and again that energy that you put into building that is what also makes um, you so successful. So a lot of your success you say comes from building great partnerships and building great teams. What has been your formula to driving not only your personal success, but also building those high-performing teams. Thanks, Denisha, and good morning, and thank you for the Chamber for having me. Um, I came from a sporting background in the early, when I was a, a child, so um, a big thing for me was, you know, team culture and, and being, you know, working in a team as a player, and that was in soccer. Um, it was a scholarship, so I, I got a, an opportunity to learn um, all facets of the game as well, from refereeing and linesmen and coaching, so I got my coaching certificates. So I was fortunate enough to have some great coaches, um, and then in my mature age where the body still wanted to play soccer, but I couldn't play soccer, I, I went into coaching, but I, I did a bit of player coaching, and what I found was um, the most rewarding part of that is that the team that I coached could also see that I played with them but I also made decisions that weren't solely based around me just playing because I wanted to I'd put the best person forward or I'd play on what is the best out of those individual players so um, you know building those sort of high performance teams is is you know what you've been saying is that trusted advisor and being on the coal face with your team you know grinding it out working you know stomping the pavement doing doing those cold calls doing the hard things that you know it's not just leaving your sales teams to do that that in turn got the buy-in you know you needed to get them on the bus with you and you know if you can build a team around you that are all on the bus and they're all engaged and they all know what your vision is what your brand vision is what your core values are then that is the the recipe for building you know success um, and then if someone falls off that bus you know you've got a team of leaders around you that can help and assist and coach them to get back on that bus with you. And that's important where it's not just led by myself and being the coach. Um, and that, that's, that's worked now straight through in my work career as well. So, you know, being there for the team and being in their corner for them. Um, and, you know, I have those kind of unusual sayings to them, I'm, I'm the best cut doctor around because I'm in the corner for you and I'm going to stitch you up and I'm going to get you out there and I'm going to you know, coach you back out there to do what you need to do. But you also need to be there to give guidance and, and lead by example. And um, I think that's the biggest part of it for me is just the training, spending time. So many professions you can step into where you, you might do an orientation, you might do an induction, which is great. It's important. Human resources might help you do that. But then you just leave that 
you know, team member to just find their own devices. And there's times where you need to be able to do that and let them go, but you need to bring them back in and it's just that regular touch point contact that you need to be there to be able to coach them. Thanks, Tony. And I think that feeds so well into some of the messages that Stephanie had around. Not only do you have to put yourself on the line regularly, but if you're working with a, a team of salespeople around you, you have to keep them up as well. And that almost takes double the energy um, to be able to do that. And the common theme I think we're hearing in all of that is, again, it's up to us. It's up to our own mindset. And, you know, even if you clear the desk and you know you have to make some calls, but getting yourself into that zone that says I'm in a place where I can put myself and the people around me 100% into that engagement and into building those relationships. Um, and I think you're right that the coaching of teams and and professional sports it's many ways it is getting into that zone isn't it and it's getting to that I'm going to win this come hell or high water and and put myself and my team out there to get a goal or to you know sh shoot a point whatever it might be and in a way it's not that dissimilar from being in a sales environment you are aiming for those points you are aiming to to make the deal and um, you have to almost think like a great sportsman when you're doing that. Um, it's probably why some of that American analogy around sales works so well, because in many ways it is the language of sport that they do use. So finally, last but not least on our panel, we have the lovely Penny Segwick, a fantastic and, and local Fremantle face. Um, Penny owns Eros Boutique on Market Street, um, which she has been operating um, for the past 19 years. Um, Penny also started local favourites that I'm sure many of you are aware of, the department on Beaufort Street um, in Mount Lawley, the wonderful Billy and Rose in both Fremantle and Mount Lawley, um, Mariposa Perfumery in Mount Lawley, and all of those businesses she has grown and subsequently sold. In an incredibly tough retail market, uh, Penny builds really strong customer loyalty. Um, she does all the buying for her store and is probably one of the last main boutiques that so champions WA designers. Um, Empire Rose, Hooded Web, Jules the Label, Hickory and Hardware and Suzware Design um, are all not only profiled but you get a sense of just such an intricate part of your own brand as well, Penny. Um, she outsources other products to keep Eros a unique and interesting space um, that women feel comfortable to shop and be personally styled in. Partnering with complementary businesses, she has subleased uh, the upstairs of uh, her amazing building um, with a hairstylist, the gypsy at the stylist, um, who helps keep Eros interesting and sustainable. And I think that interesting um, is such, an, again, an important part of sales. It's keeping it fresh, keeping different points of conversation just to um, build those relationships. Penny, I think you also echo some of the themes we've heard today, that to stay strong in business, you need to be an octopus. Uh, many, many hands moving in different directions. But at the end of the day, it's all about connection. And I loved that, that saying that you sent through during the week. So how do you create an experience that connects people and makes them come back? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I've found business to be pretty exciting the last 19 years. The last five years have been incredibly hard thus getting out of the businesses that we had to move on and just focus on Eros. Um, I believe to have good sales is about all connection with people. As soon as they come into the store, um, they basically, if I don't connect with someone or my staff don't connect with someone, you lose a sale. And um, I really believe that you need to be very careful of who you're speaking to in business and what you're sort of putting out there when people are in your store. So, um, you know, a lot of clients I will see once because they're travelling, especially in Fremantle. They're not local. Um, a lot of people are shopping online now, so they're not even having a connection with anyone. And a lot of people are coming back to boutiques and other, you know, restaurants and and different places because they want that human connection. And I think the main thing is about being honest and to really help. I mean, I work with women and women are tricky and just having that connection with people and also about empowering your staff. A lot of my staff have gone on and opened other businesses and I feel really, you know, amazing about that because I've sort of handed over my... Um, business expertise and sales expertise and I'm always training new staff so 
yeah, it's been a, it's been, I'm still there and um, I love it, which is bizarre because it's been really hard, but I get a lot out of it, so it's enjoyable. Um, I've got one more question for you, Penny, I guess, because of uh, so much of your business is about people really walking through the door and you only have such a short period of time to to get that sale sort of done. Another great quote of Dad's was that you could tell a lot about a man from his shoes and that you needed to start to read your customers very early and at a very personal level <laughs> from the shoes up. Um, how do you and do you look at a customer and I guess read them in a short period of time in order to understand what they're looking for? I do read them but I don't judge them. And that's a really big thing. You have a lot of people coming in the store and you can't judge someone by how they look. And it's a really good selling technique is to actually just talk to them and make them feel comfortable. And, you know, some people have come in and once you start asking a few questions, you know, are you from Freeman or where do you live? What sort of, you know, lifestyle? And people just start to relax. And I often get people say, I've never had that service. And it's all about service. And as I said, it's all about the first connection is when someone walks into your space, you have to be completely available. And that's really hard sometimes when it's been quiet. I mean, you can get a bit, you know, desperate. And you have to be very careful not to come across like that. And I'm very wary of speaking to other, you know, just people on the street that are quite negative. I'm just very careful what I take in. I love that line and actually it feeds really well into my next question which I've got to put to the panel. I think deep down whenever we're selling something we sometimes all feel a little bit desperate especially if things haven't been going well and we do need those sales to come in or you know financially things are tight and your business really needs to make it work. Um, how do we know that we're selling something but not appear to be desperate in the process? Um, for me, again, it's very much about helping people, looking to help them so that it's all about them. I think one of the biggest things in our society is everybody's focused on themselves. If you, if you, let some, if you ask someone some questions, they will talk infinitely about themselves. Um, so if you engage in that way, then it's exactly the same as what you've said, which is about serving people. It's you tapping into what their needs are, then the likelihood of getting the sale is much higher than, oh, that looks great on you. I don't want somebody to tell me it looks great on me if it doesn't look great on me. It's more about what do you need it for? Does it feel comfortable? Yeah, very much about how do you feel um, so that it's not about you, make it about the client. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really great points, I agree. Th there's a part of, with my industry, that um, you need to be able to also walk away from a deal and know that that desperation, you know, you may have some more margin that you could go to to get that, but you've also got to have that confidence to go, look, you know, I'm going to walk away from this. But, but in saying that, you need to be transparent, clear, um, respectful to... The, the customer by giving them that trusted advisor. That's what we've been sort of mentioning here is making the customer feel like there is a relationship, there's a connection there. I'm just not in there just for a hard sale. I'm looking to add value to not just their business but to ours as well. Um, and, and you know, in, in our industry, we can find that we would go into a restaurant, we can try and do that sale, it may not happen, we've walked away or they've walked away, and we can kind of just walk out of that business. W what I've always coached um, my team is that, you know, spend time in that business, understand their business, um, see, you know, research it, look at their website, look at their social media accounts, understand what that the decision maker, what, what gets them out of bed, get that relationship going. And, and I find after that um, pitch or tender, it may not be successful, I stay in the business and say, can I just stay in here and just have a cup of coffee? I've just got to do a few calls. You find you're in their environment. They relax more. They see that you're not just there door knocking or coming in for that hard sale. They go, well, this person's genuine. They're, they're actually... And then you find I've had a lot of success where they've come back to me and said, actually, you know, you know what, I will take that deal because you're spending some time in their business. 
And I guess that's one of my next questions is research and, and being prepared. Um, I think many of us, as you've rightly said, Stephanie, are so focused these days. Life is quick. It's busy. You need certain things. It's like, can I just push my information out there, walk away and I'm done with it. How much time do you spend in preparation um, either for a customer walking in the door or for your own sales? Um, to be honest, sales are hard. So I could spend three hours, you know, with a client um, but they'll generally walk out with quite a lot of clothing or you know or they'll get something and they'll come back I had a lady yesterday that had never been in the store came in and she was like asking where I meant you know where to buy her husband a, a gift and I, she said I haven't been in here and you know and I just said to her look if you want to try some pieces on I can help you and you know, I'm a stylist I said I'm not a salesperson I'm a stylist I'm very clear about that and I said, I just, then we started talking about, you know, her, like, what, what sort of work do you do? Do you go out? And she spent an hour in the store and she left with quite a few garments, but she thanked me as she left. And I think um, what Steph was saying, it's really is about staying in your own lane in your business. I mean, I could sit there all night and look at, you know, every other store's Instagram and I find Instagram a bit in your face. I don't really, I don't personally use it. I don't put pictures of my children up. They don't like it. I don't particularly like it. And I think you really need to stay true to yourself in business. And it's really hard because, you know, there's, there's always someone new opening up. Um, but to succeed and stay positive and focused is what you were saying, Steph, is just to be really honest and really fair. And some sales, as Tony was saying, I do let some things go because you just think this is going nowhere, but I'll always leave it on a good note. I mean, a lot of customers come in and they can get quite stressed or, you know, they may have lost someone, so they're trying to find the perfect outfit. And, um, yeah, it's it's... It's a really hard game now. So when I do have a great week, I pat myself on the back and I think I've had, you know, that's fantastic. And those clients will come back or I'll get an email. You know, I get a lot of um, musicians through being in Fremantle. So they'll come in and then they'll send an email and say, look, those outfits were fantastic. I'm over in New York now. And so I get a lot of, you know, satisfaction. I think work and sales, there needs to be satisfaction in what you do. So, yeah. Yeah, Denisha. So, um, for yeah, everyone is time poor, um, and in uh, in the wine business, we've got some leading key decision makers from around the country that um, are, are perhaps even a, a lot more qualified than I am in the wine industry. So, you get very minimal time to be able to either close a sale or do a sale. So the research that I would do beforehand is really important and that's research just of that business, of the person that I'm having a chat with, knowing all, getting all my ducks in a row so I can be able to talk that language, know the product that I've got that I'm selling, but also what is best for that customer. So I'm not just trying to sell something that I'm either, you know, budgeted for. We're budgeted for everything, but it's important that I'm adding value back to them, but being transparent about that. But it's also, you know, there are times where it's the ad hoc meetings where I haven't had that chance to do that research. I'll do that research in call. I need to find out early in a roundabout way without being too pressing, you know, what are your margin expectations? What, what, what works for you? What are your customers buying? Um, you know your wine list better than anyone else are you you know how, how do you see what's your cuisine tell me a little bit about yourself so and I will just capture all of that information in that sales call and then I need to remember that on that second and that third and that fourth and then I know what you know Betty's husband's name is and I know what the dog's name is and but then I also know that you know Betty when it comes to those kind of you know that sale I find that it can be very easy to talk too much in that sale I have a rule about two or three things and they're, they're like the truisms. You know, I need to tell them that, you know, the wine that you're drinking here is the oldest wine in Margaret River and it's the first wine we've made every year. And did you also know that, you know, all of our vineyards are organic? And then on that third pace pace lead is that I can load this price for you across these channels for you to buy it from and it'll deliver this much margin. How does that sound? And by giving that how does that sound, that question is not making them say yes or no. It's more of them saying, oh, that sounds great. Then you've got that ability to go, okay, well, just let me know if I can place that order for you. So you've already hurdled past it in a soft 
roundabout way. Just on that note as well, same in sales, it's about understanding what people's budgets are, where they want to be, how many how many kids are there in the family, what age are the kids. I ask lots and lots of questions. I also try and find out what their budget is before I meet them at the property so that I've got something to work with in my mind. Whether, uh, have you got your pre-approval organised? Do you need to sell to buy? Will it be a cash offer? But doing it in a very respectful way so that it's very much about... If you, if you don't mind me asking a few questions, I'll be able to get a better understanding of what you're looking for. And as Tony said, I never, ever try and sell someone something that I don't think is suitable for them. And in fact, on the other side, I'm also very open because people can tell you, I'm not interested in an apartment, I want a, you know, a house on 400 square metres of land, da, 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 and then they buy an apartment. So you've always, or an older couple, you've got a three-level house with stairs, and you're thinking it's going to be a young professional couple, and there are downsizers in their 60s who end up buying it, and you think that was not who I was thinking was going to buy it. But don't rule anyone out, as you said. You can read people, but don't judge them. You're there to help help them because often people don't know what they want as well and so it's part of that discovery process um, to help them understand what their needs are and show them a few different things as you would um, so that they've got an understanding of where they actually want to go as well. That's fantastic. And I, I love, Tony, even the way um, just in that short elevator pitch, you can put one piece of information out that's so clear and concise with a follow-up question that just takes a person on the journey with you. And I think we're all talking here about very tangible products, but one of the things I used to find when you're doing large pitches for services and professional organisations, how many times my staff would write a proposal that says, this is who we are upfront, you know, this is my business, this is who we are. And I'd say to them, flip it. Look, you've got three objectives that they've set in their proposal. The first page has to be, this is who you are. <laughs> this is what we can actually deliver on. And then we start talking about who we are. Can I just say, I've had a recent experience with that where they said, where I wanted them to understand who I am. And they said, can you come down to our office? And I said to them, wouldn't it be more valuable for you to come to my office to understand who I am? You know, because it's really, and they're people who are supposedly building a brand about me, and it's it's like, actually engage me as the client. Come see what what colours have I got? Have I got paintings, artwork? What's, what's the feel of what I've developed already for myself that you can build on when you're seeking first to understand the client? And I think it comes back to Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The fifth habit is seek first to understand. Make it about them, not about you. And I think that's Absolutely. That's just fantastic. I think we've talked quite a lot as usual and I haven't got any questions from the floor. I'm so sorry. Does anybody have any that they'd like to start with to put to the panel? John. Oh, hello, John Tedesco. Thank you very much, panel members, for your insights uh, today. Been very good. Uh, my question relates to um, customer service staff, the frontline uh, customer service staff, because they're very important. And of course, they're that first point of interaction, which is uh, critical. So I just wonder if you could share your insights on to, as to whether it's better to give those, um, those customer service people uh, a script for that first point of interaction or points of interaction, or is it better just to give them some, um, the objective and some core values about how you want them to treat the customers for your organisation and let them work it out? Um, or maybe is it, is it a bit of both? I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Tony, do you want to make a start on that one? <laughs> oh, okay, um, great question. Um, so I managed uh, Fraser's Restaurant in Kings Park for a long time. So um, guest services was uh, a big part of um, of the core values that I've been brought up with and what I um, employed with first and foremost. Um, but I also... Um, enjoyed a bit of organic spunk and you know naturalness of that guest service i think premeditated um scripts can be you know quite hard and abrupt and you want that kind of um however noisy it might be behind that guest service of craziness through a big restaurant that's busy you want that to be that kind of beautiful moment so that that that's really approachable 
they, I think your team member that's leading at that customer service knows what your objectives are or should know, um, should know what your core values are and what your brand vision is and what you're wanting. Um, and they just need to have that calmness. Um, the customer is all, you know, in so many ways it's a debatable, is the customer always right? Well, you know, sometimes in mind you don't think they are and maybe you, you would dare not say that they aren't. Um, but you need to be able to manage and adapt to what the customer's needs are. And if you're unable to answer those needs and wants, you need to be calm and be able to find out how you can sort out those needs with other upper management as well. But I think it's a calming influence for me. Um, I think you could try role-playing. So, you know, you have a night, just get the staff in, and then you basically just put some scenarios in place. And what it will do, it will open up people to sort of feel, um, you know, you could sort of ha have your best best salesperson or best service person there and then just do some role-playing. So do, you know, an easy customer that's coming in that's a bit quiet, maybe a customer that's had a few... Are you, do you have a restaurant? No. No? OK. I just wondered what sort of business you had. Um, just you have to do a bit of role-playing and what it will do, it will bring out some... You know, people are naturally that are in sales, I think, are natural. They're naturals about it. So you just have to do lots of role-playing and, yeah, just try and sort of open up. And like I said, you know, you have to constantly be putting them in hard situations as well. You know, let them deal with some hard things because that makes them grow as well. So... Yeah, we used to do quite a few mystery shoppers as well, but we used them for the positive. It was to, to you know, to teach and coach and lead as well. So we would get some scores and reviews and, and bring those team members aside and go, this is how we can do better and this is where you were great. And can you tell the rest of the team how you got to that stage as well or what, you know, what made that work for you? So it's there's parts of that which is really... I think in real estate there's a huge amount of training and there are lots of what they call scripts and dialogue which are important for people when they're starting um, to practice but I think role playing and most people are incredibly uncomfortable doing it but you're much better as uh, a business to practice inside so that when you you're not practicing on real clients and you've got to make it a safe environment for people to be able to do that. But the importance of doing it and watching other people do it and getting that understanding, you've got the basic script, but then adapting it to who you are so that it's authentic and genuine as opposed to that rote sort of, you know, answer, you know, lots of questions or lines that are, are spat out. And once they, but they need the practice to be able to do that with ease. And that's what you're talking about, that calmness that comes from being comfortable doing it. And I think it is intimidating, but it's an incredibly valuable um, skill. And you can see when we were doing it, um, you, I, you can so see who's using it and who's not. And, you know, sales, it's like a, a sport. It's like a muscle. The more you train the better you're going to be able to perform in the field. So if you're not doing that training or you're not doing a lot of transactions, then each one becomes more desperate but also more forced. Whereas when you're doing it regularly, then it becomes, it you've got your inflow really. I think it makes a really good point too, particularly in a, in a market that can be a bit quiet from time to time, where you're not picking up the phone all the time or you're not having customers come through the door all the time. I think you do almost, like you said, Stephanie, it is a bit like a muscle and you sort of then the next time you go to pick up the phone, it seems so much harder than it does when even you sit down and make 10 calls all at once. And I think, again, getting ourselves personally into that zone, whether it's through role-playing or whether it's through, okay, I'm going to give myself an hour, I'm going to make 10 calls, maybe the first first two won't be so flat, but I'm warmed up and then I start to move through. And likewise, even writing big tender documents or pitches, you know, when you're writing a lot of them, they become easy. You say, I can look for what the client needs. I can search their website really quickly. I can pull out those key messages. But suddenly, if you haven't done one for six months, it can become a bit more of an ordeal. So keeping ourselves fresh is really important. Any other questions from the floor? Anna. <coughs> 
Firstly, I'd like to say that um, I have actually closed a sale in 15 years. I know you business. have. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, Anna. But this has been really, really, really useful. And I'm really happy to say that I've ticked most of those boxes. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much because um, working pretty much in isolation, we don't have a team. Well, I have a team of helpers but mm. not a team of staff um, so it's really good to hear um, to, you know particularly from from the three of you and the the areas that you're coming from um, can, I can actually relate you know sort of I, I thought oh maybe it might be retail even sort of I mean the amount of times that I've stood in front of Eros oh, <laughs> um, what's in there but um, but the the point the 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 one place where I think I do fall down on is what you just mentioned, and that's the calling, mm -hmm. you know, and the follow-up. So are there any... Is it just something that you have to really, you know, just psych yourself up to do? Um, and how do you overcome that fear? Um, one of my coaches says, do the thing, have the power. And so if you do the work, you'll naturally get that power and another one is 10 before 10 so real estate obviously is a lot of calls we meet lots of people but if you do the worst first so your hardest calls first um can be one of the things or hardest tasks but if you try and do 10 calls before 10 a.m as a uh, as a standard then it makes it much easier and blocking your time and just putting it in your calendar like an appointment the same kind of appointment you would make with any doctor or any other activity and it's something that's non-negotiable and there are probably better times of day or night to make those calls like I, I won't make calls first thing on Monday morning I'll, I'll receive calls because I'm on their list so they'll call me but I don't want to bother people first thing Monday morning when they're getting their own lives sorted but between five and six on Monday night, it's a great time for me. They've had their first day at work. They're driving home. It's a great time to catch them. So figure out what your target market is and when are the gaps in their day that would suit them and block those into your calendar. And set yourself goals. I mean, you know, I target yourself a number of goals and then count them up at the end of the day and see how many calls did I make. And then make it a fun game and maybe pair up with somebody so that you've got a buddy as an accountability buddy that you set to do 50 calls for the week and you keep track and then you celebrate when you reach it. Uh, <laughs> well, <have> your luck. <laughs> yeah, Steph's right. Timing's critical. I mean, if I was to either ring or walk into a restaurant um, at lunch service, I'd get shooed out with a broom. Um, and I also believe that your follow-up is is super important. Just in just reminders in your calendar, in your Outlook, whatever pro what platform you use, just to set yourself as a follow-up and what that gentle reminder is for yourself. But you know, the calling is a hard way of trying to get a deal or a sale. I mean, the face-to-face -face is the connection. I'm maybe a bit old-fashioned, but I get that there's a lot of people that either like to do it via email, like to do it by phone. So, the you know, my my suggestion of, of those cold calls is um, just introducing yourself and finding out who, who is the decision maker that makes um, the changes on your wine list. Oh, great. Okay. And is that person available now? No, they're not. What's the best, best method that I can get in touch with this person? And then you can do that follow-up. A lot of the times in this business, in my business, you'll get absolutely donuts. You'll send emails, you'll send calls, you'll leave messages and you won't get a response. And I find that there's probably a time there where after, you know, a few goes at it, I'm not going to be, you know, despondent by that, angry in any ways, but I'll then go in at a, at a time that I think is probably suitable for that business in the morning um, and go in and, and ask, you know, hi, you know, is Phil available? And Phil probably is the person you're actually asking, is Phil available? And they'll say, hi, I'm Phil. Hi, I'm Tony. I've just been trying to get in contact with you. Look, I just want to find out when's the best time that I could possibly meet you just to go through our portfolio of wines. And it's the soft and soft approach. A lot of the times you might still get told, no, not interested or whatever, but that's the relentless repetitivity of putting those reminders in your calendar, those follow-ups. And persistence pays off after a while, especially if you're transparent, you're clear, you've got a relationship, you're not just there for the hard sale and you understand their business. And I think uh, another really um, important thing for yourself is to reset. So you need to reset yourself. 
set yourself up. I'm always constantly reminding myself to reset mentally and then start again. So, you know, you might have a day where you're serving a lot of clients, they're not buying, you're starting to feel like, well, something's wrong, I've lost my, you know, I'm, I'm I'm losing it. And then I'll reset my head and then I'll go back the next day and, yeah, I'm persistent, I don't give up. So just reset, I think, is a really good thing to have in your mind just to make sure you do that weekly, daily. You know, everyone needs to reset. You know, the world's moving very quickly. It's fast. People don't have time. And you just have to do that every day. So. It's quite like what Steph said. You've got to be clear in your head in your own space. So sometimes you do. You need, and what, what does that for you? When What gets you up? Do you need to go for a swim? Do you need to go and just have a look at the ocean? Do you need to go and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea? Do you need to call a loved one and then you reset? There's a book called The Miracle Morning, which is a routine. It's called Savers, which is um, silence, uh, affirmations, visualisation, uh, exercise reading and um, one of the things that's incorporated into that is a gratitude journal and writing down things that you're grateful for and I think that through some of the hardest times that I've dealt with both personally and in business if you write down even three things every morning or night um, that you're grateful for and they can be Absolutely anything. Once I used to do 10 because <laughs> there's what you do, what you realize when you start writing down a gratitude journal that there is so much to be grateful for. For me, that's a massive reset. And I would go home at night and you've had a bad day and it's been hard and I'd write down, thank you for the challenges that I've had today. I appreciate the opportunity to learn from them and try again tomorrow. <laughs> and it's that sense of, and then on those dark days or darker days, you're flipping through and you've got like 150 pages of things that you've been grateful for and you go, actually, I just have to keep going. The other thing is that just because people haven't responded to you doesn't mean they're not listening to you. And I think you can often get um, a response or a sale from somewhere else that you're not expecting or those people do come back to you or like if you show up at the restaurant, it's not that he's not wanting to get back to you, but he's very busy and you've by just dropping in, you've actually made it easy for him. Another thing with the sales, I had a phenomenal experience with a retailer in Claremont where I bought this beautiful dress and she called me a week later and said, how are you enjoying your dress? And I just went, that is phenomenal. And I thought, yeah, if you can do that, because then next thing you know, I'm back in the shop. And um, yeah, it was just phenomenal for me to have had that level of service. And they phone me before they go on sale and tell you about it. And once you start developing that relationship with your client, the first place they're going to go when they need something is to you because you've started to understand what, what they like. It was amazing. So important. It was actually making me think of one of my first bosses at BHP. She used to, if someone came to a meeting and didn't send a follow-up thank you, she would literally never do business with them again. Because she was saying, I've put myself out on an incredibly busy day and if that person doesn't acknowledge my time, why would I acknowledge theirs? And I think that point about acknowledgement and respect of saying, thank you for doing business with me um, is really, really important. And I also loved um, the point about celebrating the wins because I think so rarely when we've had those really wonderful days and we have them, you're in the zone, the sales line up and you can feel it, you can feel that energy and that's the day where you actually have to celebrate that, mark that in the diary almost and go, I did really good because you're not always going to have days like that and we're not always going to win and I think we do need to take that time to celebrate it which is great and my final in that wrap up because there was so much in just that short conversation but um, the idea that you have to diarise it, you know, I like all of us that are involved in some form of selling. I'm a fairly extroverted person. But there are certain times of the day where I'm more on them when I'm not. And to make those calls between 10 and 11, I find just so important. If you try and make them between 2 and 3, when you're a bit groggy, you come across as a bit groggy. And I think it is knowing your... And other people are great in the afternoon or some people are great in the evening. Knowing where your times are, that you have that energy to put out to someone else is really, really important. Any other questions from the floor? No. Wonderful. I've got 
one more. <laughs> if you just, each of you on the panel, if you just had to pick one sentence that was your own magical formula for before you go into a meeting to say, this is the magic key to sales, what would it be? Um, you know you can. <laughs> I know I can. I don't know. There's quite a few. It's, um, you know, I definitely, in the car, I do have a good look at myself in that rear vision mirror and give myself that belief. Um, and just knowing that I'm confident in what I do. I've worked exceptionally hard to get the job that I've got, which is my dream job. And I think uh, many people aren't maybe fortunate to, to be in that, but you, you can be. It's not lucky. It's it's worked hard. So I remind myself and pinch myself on, you know, I have got the greatest job. If I don't get this, that's okay. We'll get it next time. Yeah. Um, I work with a kinesiologist and she always says to me, if it's not this one, it's this one or something better. And it's about staying focused that you're going to go in and do your best. And if you've done the work, that's you've done everything you can. Like at the end of the day, it's up to them to choose. And sometimes I go, I didn't get that listing, but they got the right agent for them. Because they, they actually weren't my people or they weren't the right, you know, fit for me. And, or sometimes you go away and you're disappointed. It doesn't sell and they come back to you. But I always leave it on good terms. And it's sometimes I say it's not actually about me. It's about them. You know, it's about what they need. And so I always go in with the view that I'm here to help them do your best, have the power, do the work, have the power. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you can only do so much and not to take it on personally. Did you want to finish with one last one? Oh, my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely inspired to, uh, to come and try on some fabulous clothes down the road, I think, um, which is lovely. So to our panel, thank you for sharing. And I think the amazing thing that we've learned today is that no matter what we do, when we are putting ourselves on the line, we are selling ourselves. And I think you've shared some very, very personal insights with us all. And uh, it goes without saying we can't have a conversation about sales and closing the deal without being a little bit personal but I really appreciate the fact that you have shared so much with us and I think on behalf of everyone in the room I've certainly taken away a lot. I'm always intrigued sometimes by these topics that they start in one direction and we end up talking about something quite different but I'm feeling more inspired to go and make some calls. I hope the rest of the room are. And um, thank you again very, very much. Please stay around for some afternoon tea. I've got some gifts for our lovely speakers. And um, yeah, if you don't have to rush, I'm sure um, we can have a little bit more time after the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.